Good morning. I want to begin by asking you a question. What motivates you? There are all kinds of things that give our lives meaning and purpose. It might be your job, it might be some cause that you believe in, it might be about how you want to raise your family or the kind of friendships you want to have, but we all need purpose in our lives. Without purpose, life can become very aimless. We're not sure what we're here for or what we're supposed to be doing. We need purpose in order to know what to give ourselves to, otherwise we're at the mercy of every circumstance and demand that we face in life. And anyway, most things don't just happen by themselves. We need to be intentional or purposeful in order to do something or make something happen. Only the things that I do on purpose are guaranteed to happen. Everything else may or may not happen depending on whether I remember it, whether I have the time, or whether the opportunity arises by accident. Now, my wife Jess and I are both very wired towards a sense of purpose. In fact, you may have heard of the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, I like to refer to Jess as the purpose driven wife. Uh, I really think Rick and Kay Warren should consider writing that one. Anyway, as we've been working through this series, uh, Loving People Towards Jesus, we've been reminded that one of our core purposes, one of the most important things we are created for is to help people meet Jesus. And our focus today is about loving people on purpose. And we're gonna look at a passage in John's Gospel when Jesus himself was very intentional and full of purpose. The background of chapter four in John's Gospel is that Jesus meets a woman at a well who has, be, who has come to draw water, um, but Jesus asks her for a drink. He's breaking several taboos because it wasn't appropriate for a man to talk alone with a woman, especially uh, because he was a rabbi or, or religious teacher. Also, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. You can see that in verse 9 of chapter 4. We read in the Old Testament book of two kings that Samaria had, had been a geographical part of Israel that was resettled with foreigners when the Assyrians invaded. And whilst they'd been taught about the, the uh, Jewish god Yahweh, they also worshipped many other gods. And so there was this fierce ethnic rivalry between Israel and Samaria. And lastly, we find out that this is an immoral woman. When they get into a conversation, Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. She says, I'm not married. Jesus tells her he knows that she's had five husbands and that the man she's now with, she isn't actually married to. She says to him, clearly you're a prophet. How else could he know these things about her? Then she starts talking about worship. Maybe uh, she thought she could distract Jesus by uh, talking about religion. But when she mentions the Messiah, Jesus says in verse 26, that's who I am. But just then they're interrupted by the disciples returning. And we're gonna pick up reading this passage from chapter four of John's gospel from verse 27. 
Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him and then jumped down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This woman meets Jesus and everything changes. The main aim that I have in my life isn't simply that um, people in my life would know me and be my friend. Actually, I'm hoping for much more than that. My ambition for people in my life is that they would come to know Jesus for themselves. And that's actually the main aim or objective of mission. The whole thing of loving people towards Jesus. He's the destination, not just people knowing some Christians or attending a particular church, but knowing and loving God. We want people to know the one who made them, who holds them together, who knows everything about them. That was the Samaritan woman's testimony. He knows every hair on their head, every thought they have, every word they speak before it even comes out of their mouth. Jesus, the one who knew them before they were even in their mother's womb, the one who loved them so much that he died for them, the one who promises everyone who believes that they will be with him forever. He's the one who has transformed my heart and my life and also desires to do the same for other people. I just want people to meet him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that's our hope for you, that you might get to know Jesus. And if you're already a Christian, do you share that same ambition for people in your life as well? God is so passionate about drawing people to him, of saving people through Jesus, of bringing them into his family, that he crosses every barrier that separated him from this woman. Ethnic barriers, cultural barriers, gender barriers, even her questionable lifestyle didn't stop Jesus moving towards her. And I don't think uh, this interaction with the woman was by accident. I think Jesus was being very deliberate. So if we also want the people we know to meet Jesus, we have to be quite deliberate about it as well, even strategic. It might sound strange, but God is strategic. In the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, we read that God devises ways so that people would be saved. God was strategic in sending his son Jesus at just the right time, as we read in the New Testament letter of Galatians. 
Jesus said he'd come to seek and save the lost. He's strategic in seeking out lost people like the shepherd searching for the lost sheep. The Apostle Paul was strategic. He went to strategic centres in the ancient world in order to get the news out about Jesus. He says in his letter to the Corinthian church, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And God has strategically placed people on purpose in your life so that you can love them towards Jesus. In Acts 17, we read, God has decided where and when people would live so that they may reach out and find him, even though he isn't far from each one of us. Now, some people might say, why do we need strategy? Surely we just need to trust God and have faith. But all those examples I've just shared show that God is strategic and we can actually demonstrate faith ourselves by having a strategy about how we might introduce people to Jesus. God is calling us to be strategic like him, to be intentional, to love people on purpose towards Jesus with the plan that they would meet him for themselves. I used to think that I needed to persuade people myself to, into believing in Jesus. I've learned actually that for most people, the best thing I can do is, is invite them into a place where they can meet Jesus for themselves because he really is the saviour of the world and he loves people. So this isn't a strategy about how I can get someone to become a Christian. I know I can't do that and I know you can't do that. But we can have a strategy about how we introduce friends of ours, yours and mine, to Jesus. And if they do encounter him for themselves, I've got faith that we will see many come to faith in him. Soon after I became a Christian, I heard Dr. Krienzak Karyon Wanzak, I just love saying that name, um, uh, speak at Stonely Bible Week. Uh, he spoke so compellingly about Jesus that I thought if I could just get some of my friends to hear Dr. Krienzak, then they would become Christians. Now, that may have worked for one or two of them, but I've learned over the years, my aim shouldn't be for my non-Christian friends to hear a certain speaker or read a certain book or maybe meet a certain person. The only person that they need to meet and that I want them to meet is Jesus. I'm absolutely convinced if they have a real encounter for themselves with Jesus, most, if not all of them, will want to follow him. But Dub points out um, two mistakes that we can make. Um, so think about the two halves of the book title, Loving People Towards Jesus. On the one hand, if we focus solely on the towards Jesus bit, we're being strategic, but not loving. And that can make people feel like they're some kind of project. And they could feel like we're only interested them in only interested in them if they become a Christian and that you don't really care about them 
as a person. Alternatively, if we look to the other side, if we love people um, without being intentional, people could end up missing the point. We could shower someone with love and kindness and compassion and grace, but if they don't actually have the opportunity to hear about Jesus or to meet him, then we've missed the point. And in case you're not sure, Jesus is the point. And so we need to hold both sides of this thing together. Love people on purpose towards Jesus. In the book, Dub asks the question, do you have a plan to help people in your life from where they are now to a place where they, they're open to hearing the gospel? The good news about Jesus is powerful, but most people in our lives aren't like this woman at the well. She believed in God. She had maybe some kind of expectation that the Messiah would come. Most of the people we know are much further back in their faith journey. They don't necessarily even believe in God. They have little or no awareness of the Bible. And if you started talking about the Messiah, they might start looking at you a little bit strangely. So how do we do it? Well, I wanna pick out two lessons from this woman's story. The first one is be a door opener. Let's look at what the woman did. It says she went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. On the basis of her experience, she opened a door for others to meet Jesus as well. She'd gone to the well with the purpose to draw water at the time when probably there wouldn't be anyone else there because she's socially outcast. But now she leaves her bucket and goes into the town with a very different purpose to seek out people and issue an invitation. We can be a door opener too. In the book, Dub explains that in an old manor house, when someone came to the door, the butler or servant would open the door but would stand back behind it in order that the visitor would look into the house and see the Lord. That's what we should be doing when we open a door for people. Stand out of the way so that they can see the Lord Jesus and take a step toward him. But as we've pointed out, most people aren't at the, shall I put my faith in Jesus as my saviour kind of door. They're probably much, much further back. I picture it almost like a series of doors that need to be opened for people to walk through. About 50 years ago, uh, James Engel articulated people's faith journey towards God as like a scale that people would move through from knowing nothing about God or um, actively being opposed to God through to someone who is actively following Jesus. Those steps are like a series of doors that people have to go through or barriers to their understanding that need to be removed. 
Dub writes in chapter 21 of the Loving People Towards Jesus book, being a door opener is a beautiful God-given role where we simply remove doors or barriers and help people to see Jesus. So we need to be strategic in understanding where any given person is at and what door we could open for them. There's no point me opening the, do you want to become a Christian door and wondering why they don't walk through if they're still at the, well, is what do I think about church? Are Christians actually okay door? We can help open that door by letting someone into our lives and helping them to see that we're authentic. And as we build a friendship, hopefully they'll see that Christians actually are okay and maybe break down some of their assumptions that Christians are judgmental or hypocritical or unloving. Equally, one of your friends probably isn't ready to follow Jesus if they don't even know who Jesus is or what he's done. So with anyone who you're trying to love towards Jesus, it's good to ask yourself, where are they at now? What's the best next step for them? Is there a door that I can open that will help them be more receptive to the good news about Jesus? Let me tell you a story. When I was at university, I had a good friend uh, called Matt. I met him on the first day of uni in, in our halls of residence, and we did the usual kind of conversation, uh, you know, what are you studying, where are you from? And he was studying history, but he confidently told me, I'm not gonna do any work, I'm gonna become a rock star, which I was slightly uh, dubious about. Now, uh, it's, another, it's a whole other story, but he uh, actually did get signed to a record label and made two albums that you were able to go and buy uh, in the shops. But anyway, that's by the by. Matt and I built a friendship, and whilst he never particularly showed any interest in Christianity or my faith, I was able to open a couple of doors that he walked through. So when I got baptised at my church, I invited uh, all my friends and Matt was one of the few who came to the service. Now, I think he only came out of loyalty to me, but he took it very seriously. So I didn't realise, but he'd actually gone to a charity shop and bought this silver suit uh, to wear to church. He was actually uh, more smartly dressed than anyone else uh, at church. Um, but it was great that he was there and he heard my baptism testimony. Later on, I got to invite him to Alpha and he came on one or two evenings. Now, I don't have any great conclusion to the story that um, he gave his life to Jesus and now he's a missionary in South America. But I got to open a couple of doors for him uh, where he got to hear about what Jesus had done in my life and he got to hear the gospel message that Jesus died on the cross for his sins and for the sins of the world and that Jesus rose to life so that by faith anyone can have new life in him. Now we all have people in our lives that we can open doors for it might be someone that you sit next to at work. It might be one of your neighbours. And with all that's going on in Bristol at the moment, 
people are asking questions. When you hear the tragic news about the three children who lost their lives this week in Sea Mills, or the recent fatal stabbings of three teenage boys, it, it's upsetting, it's sad. And people are asking, how can these things happen? What can be done? What hope is there for children and young people in Bristol and South Gloucestershire? In those moments, maybe there's a door that you could open for someone. You might offer a chance to talk more or share something of the hope that you have or recommend a book for someone to read. What Dub does say in his book is don't preach at people in terms of telling them what to believe. That's more likely to close a door than open one. Actually, a much more powerful approach is to tell something of your story. When the woman at the well went into town and said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, she was opening a door for others to meet Jesus. And that's the second lesson that I want us to focus on. Share your story. Look at what it says in verse 39. Many believed because of the woman's testimony. Stories are powerful. Everyone loves a good story. It's why you start watching a film or series. Um, oh, sorry, it's why when you start watching a film or a series um, with a gripping storyline, you want to find out the ending. Stories naturally cause us to ask questions like, what's going to happen next? Or how is this going to resolve? For the people in the town who heard the woman's testimony, they might have been uh, thinking things like, how did Jesus know about her relationships? Is he really a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is it true he can do miracles? I wonder what he would say to me. What has brought about such transformation in this woman? By sharing her story, what she'd previously hidden became helpful for other people. What had been shameful for her was now used to show them the way to Jesus. And look what happens in verse 42. The people from the town say, we no longer believe because of what you said. We've seen for ourselves. We've heard for ourselves. We've experienced for ourselves. Your story could be the thing that helps someone take a step towards Jesus. But we have to share our stories, not necessarily in a beautifully crafted 10 minute presentation of your life story, but maybe explaining the reason why you're peaceful, even when you're experiencing storms in your life or sharing something of the difference that Jesus has made in your life will cause someone to ask themselves, could Jesus do that for me too? The people all around us are crying out for some hope. They're desperate for some good news, not just to escape from problems or to find a temporary fix. They're looking for something solid that they can hold on to, something substantial that won't give way, but that will bring about real change. Many of us know the person who brings substantial hope, who changes everything. The woman at the well 
encountered him. Many in that town believed in him. Who could you open a door for? Who could you help to take a step towards Jesus by sharing your story? As we've been working through this series, I feel really challenged and inspired. We can all do this. I believe God wants to give us fresh fresh faith for this. Many of you have lots of friends who aren't Christians. That's brilliant. I'm really aware that I'm a pastor who spends most of his time with Christians and I'm in a bit of the Christian bubble. Some of you maybe are a bit like me. I'm encouraged to just start loving people towards Jesus. I'm going to build with the people and contacts that I do have. I'm going to take opportunities as they arise. I'm going to be intentional about making new friendships outside our church community. I hope you feel inspired to do the same. And as we finish, I want to do something very practical. I want you to write down three people that you're going to love on purpose. And I want to encourage you to think and pray about where they're at and what you're going to do. This week or in the coming weeks, is there a door that you could open for them? It might be as simple as introducing them to another Christian friend of yours. Or there are many other things, many other doors or steps that you could take. How are you going to be intentional in moving them towards Jesus, but doing that in a really loving way? Maybe there's a bit more of your story that you need to share with them. If you're here today and you've never been to church before or you've never heard about Jesus before, I don't think you're here by accident. There's an invitation from God for you to start to get to know him. We'd love to help you to do that. It may be that you just keep coming to this church or you want someone to talk to or you want to do Alpha or join a group, we'd love to help you to take the right next step for you. You could chat to the person you came to church with or if you're not sure who to talk to, have a chat with whoever's leading the service or go to the welcome desk at the end. We'd love to talk to you more. And if you're already following Jesus, he's calling us to love people on purpose, to be people who open doors, who tell our stories in order to make a way for the people around us to meet with him. Let's stand and we're going to pray together.